Uh, hey, this is Ed. So this is a podcast, is that right? This is. Okay. We're officially podcasting right now. That's awesome. This is Straight from the Cutter's Mouth. Welcome to Straight from the Cutter's Mouth, a retina podcast. At least once a week, we bring you insights and perspectives from the world of vitreoretinal surgery. I'm your host, Dr. Jay Schreeder. Today on episode 89, we break from our usual format for the second successive year to host a real-time recorded question and answer panel between medical students applying this fall for ophthalmology residency and their recently matched colleagues. Angela Chang and Mike Benincasa will guide our discussion of tips and tricks for approaching the ophthalmology match. From the cutter's mouth, it's now privileged to be joined by three recently matched medical students from the University of Miami Elementary School of Medicine, as well as uh, two of their third-year counterparts who are here to ask them some questions. So. Uh, going in a circle, we're literally sitting at a tight table for the second straight year in a row. And going in order uh, around the table to my left is Daniela reyes Capo, who matched at Baskin Palmer. Daniela, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Dr. Sridhar. Uh, next, we have Karam uh, Alawa, mm-hmm. yep, who is yep. from um, also a UM student who matched at the University of Iowa. Karam, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having us. We have uh, Louis Kai, uh, who everyone knows, who matched at Will's Eye Hospital. I'm very proud of him. I'm proud of you guys too. But... <laughs> I'm glad to be here. We've been sitting here for an entire year. Hasn't <laughs> moved. Hasn't moved a muscle. <laughs> also, uh, both part of our uh, production team now in alphabetical order, we had third year medical student Angela Chang. Thanks for having me. And uh, Mike Benincasa. Hi, thanks, Jay. Uh, Angela and Mike are going to do most of the talking. They're going to moderate. So rather than rehash, similar to our fellowship podcast, where it doesn't make sense to rehash the same questions every year. Maybe the thing that makes most sense is to go back and listen to the first one last year, kind of develop questions from there. So that's what Angela and Mike were tasked with doing, and that's what they've done. Maybe some things will be repetitive, but hopefully the things that are repetitive are things that we fail or high yield or important emphasize, and maybe we'll cover some ground that we didn't cover last year. So, uh, Angela and Mike, I'll leave the floor to you. Hello. To the three of you, thanks a lot for joining us today. You know, I know it's been a long road, so congratulations, first of all. Congratulations on matching. I'm sure you're excited. Um, and, and thanks for thanks for being here to help us out, the people who are going to be matching next year. But first of all, like we usually start most of our uh, podcast episodes, I want to ask, why ophthalmology? Uh, what made you pick it? Is there anything else that you were kind of deciding between and what made you ultimately decide on it? I guess I'll start. Simply put, it's the best field. <laughs> last year, I was saying that I was... Hey, I can't even say that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> last year, I said I was between psychiatry and something else. I don't even remember anymore. It's like psychiatry and pediatrics, but ophthalmology is there's just something for everyone. There's a you see the entire range of population from the young to the old, and uh, just the fact that you can help anyone, any person can have an eye problem, and just the fact that you're able to help all those kinds of people through surgery, through clinic, through medications, and uh, through research. There's just so much you can do in that field. And that's why I love it the most. Daniela, how about you? Yeah, kind of echoing off of what Louis said, um, I always thought about ophthalmology, but um, it really wasn't until my third year when I rotated through ophthalmology. It was the balance of clinic and surgery, and I really like microsurgery and doing um, in-office procedures. And kind of what Louis said is that children and adults in that spectrum of ages was really appealing to me. Um, and it's generally a very happy, positive field with good patient outcomes, and that was really unique also. Yeah, no, just to chime in, uh, the build off of what Louis and Daniela said, I love everything about what they said, but also kind of unique to me, the specialty uh, ophthalmology is very dependent and very tied to new and upcoming technology. And that's, um, I have a background in engineering and that for me was a huge selling point because I, I, love, I hope to continue um, my love for engineering, channeling that through my the profession of ophthalmology and kind of balance both. And for me, that was a huge, huge selling point. 
you know, we, we'd be remiss. Daniela's, uh, your mom is an ophthalmologist. You know, ophthalmology is interesting because if you look statistically, all fields of medicine, there's stats on how many, what's the percentage of children of certain doctors who go into the same specialty or go into medicine. Ophthalmology is like top of the list for, for ophthalmology. I mean, kids with ophthalmologists generally who do medicine generally go into ophthalmology. And I think that's a reflection on their parents are happy. Um, their parents have balance in their lives. And, you know, it's just like we look for happy mentors when we're in med school. If you're growing up and you see that your parent does something that's really enjoyable and they're happy and they enjoy what they do and they feel like they're bringing good to the world, then maybe you're more likely to pursue that. Um, so, Angela, what do you guys have for these guys? That was easy stuff. How am I going to get hard? <laughs> so, sometimes advice from a friend or mentor really sticks out. I was wondering what was the best piece of advice you were given throughout medical school or during the application process, and do you have any advice for future applicants? So, Carol? Mm, so, best piece of advice. That's uh, a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's a very good one. So, we got a lot of advice, I'd say, over the process, and uh, definitely uh, seek out mentors. Uh, mentors are invaluable through the process. Uh, and don't be afraid to ask for help at any given time. You know, they went through this. They uh, adv advise tons of students, and they know the process better than us, and they can guide you through and, and trust them and don't be afraid to, to go to them ask for help. I think that was they were invaluable. I definitely would not have matched if I didn't have my mentors kind of backing me up. Danielle, I don't know if you have anything to add. Yeah, I think mentors are extremely important. People you can trust, go to for any kind of advice. Um, and in addition to that, I think also just having fun with the process also. You're going to go on so many interviews, meet different people, be yourself, and enjoy the process because um, it's a long two months, but looking back, like, I'm kind of sad it's over. Yeah, just um, building up all that, um, I think the biggest thing is really just to not sweat the small things. I think uh, Hua last year mentioned how, like, in medical school, it's so easy to get caught up in this rat race of grades, AOA, research publications, numbers, numbers, numbers. And uh, it's kind of tough when, when people tell you, you know, those things aren't the things that really matter in, in our heads. We, you know, we some, somewhat believe them, somewhat don't believe them. And whatever we think afterwards, we just go on and keep doing the same kinds of things. But um, really trusting that piece of advice and realizing that in the end, we end up where we need to be. And uh, I think that's probably the best piece of advice. I think going through med school, you have so many different options narrowing it down to what you're passionate about will make a big difference, um, especially in your application when you interview, because being able to talk about what you really enjoy, um, people see that. Thanks. And, and Louie, by the way, you may not know this, but the reason that I wanted to ask this question was, I remember about a year ago, you gave me a piece of advice when I was studying for step one. I remember we were in the library and you were like, it's the same kind of thing of don't sweat, don't sweat it. You were like, you're going to learn everything at some point and it's going to become not about the material, but about the test. And it's nice you know, to hear from all of you that it's everything kind of, it'll work out and it's just don't sweat the small stuff. And um, so... I wanted to let you know that I passed that advice on to other people. And so thank you for you guys' <laughs> advice. And I hope that, you know, your pearls go to others as well. On that same kind of note, is there any bad advice you've given or any, or any bad advice? <laughs> any, any, any advice I give is bad. <laughs> any bad advice you've received and things that you said, you know what, I wouldn't do that again. I don't think I... I'll, I'll do one if I just have some time to think. So. I think that you have to be cautious of advice about years off and externships. And this is a biased table because I don't believe anyone at this table took a year off. And there are definitely scenarios where you should take a year off. Your weaknesses in your application to shore up, or if you're trying to decide what you want to do, it gives you another year to kind of think about it, whether it's between second and third year or third and fourth year. That being said, be very careful if you get advice that you have to do something. 
You have to take a year off to match. You must do this externship to match this program. Anytime anyone uses uh, always or never, you should be careful. And that's true not in ophthalmology but in life. And so if you get advice like that, and I got advice like that, I got advice like in med school and also in applying to fellowship about different sort of scenarios, ask, ask someone else. Get, get kind of a couple of opinions. Just like if you're a patient and you got advice like you need surgery and you're not sure, you're going to get another opinion. Same thing. Get another opinion because those are big decisions. Externship's not as big a decision, but it's a big financial investment. It's a big time investment. It takes some arranging. Taking your off is a huge decision, right? That's a financial decision. That's a life decision. And most people who take years off don't regret it in terms of the life experience. But if you're going to do it, don't feel like you did it because you had to. You should do it because you want to for some reason. There has to be a reason behind it. Because just like Daniel said about passion, if you're not passionate about what you're going to be doing during that year off, then it won't be successful and add to your application. So how about you guys some time? That was long. <laughs> well, uh, did any of you guys think about doing a year off and what made you decide not to? Karam, did you think? I actually did wrestle with that decision because uh, they say that the three pillars of your application are your step score, your grades, and then your um, extracurriculars, um, be it research and, and that kind of thing. And so for me, I, I did not do so hot on step one. And if you saw my score, you'd think, oh, how'd this guy match? I wrestled with that decision and I thought, you know, what will taking a year off do for me? Um, will, how will I strengthen my application? And for me, it kind of came down to um, I was pretty confident in my research and taking a year off would really only strengthen that pillar. So for me, I thought, let me just go ahead, try and see what happens. And if I do not match, you know, that scenario happened, I can kind of take a step back, really get some feedback, focus on the weaknesses specifically and go forward. But for me, it could have been reasonable to take a year off. Just to add on to that, um, I think I always had the mindset to try to finish in four years early on. So that's which is why I really didn't take too many breaks throughout summers and things like that. I was trying to find a way just to be productive. And, and I think that's definitely enough time to, to do all the things that you need to do. People don't realize how small the box for research actually is. And if you, if you include all the <laughs> posters and yeah. abstracts and uh, publications and even just some activities that you did in the lab, you really can't fill that much in. Now you can, some people may have a 20-page CV, but if, if it matches out in one page, you really can't tell. If you should try to squeeze everything, it would just look kind of silly. So I think taking a year off, like you said, like really strengthens the extracurriculars and research, but really you don't need one year's worth, I don't think. We, uh, we talked about the, the three pillars of the application and the application itself. So I want to ask you guys, SF Match just came out with their summary report, I think today, and it said that uh, the average number of applications for the matched applicant was 73, which was up from, <laughs> yes, last year I believe it was 72. How many did you? How many programs did you guys apply to? Do you wish you did more or, or less? And how many interviews did you end up going on? Start with Danielle. Sure. So I ended up applying to seventy-one programs. Um, looking back at it, I probably wouldn't change it. Um, it's really hard to know. She did seventy-two. Right. It's just hard to know what schools you're going to get interviews from. Sometimes you get interviews from those random places you never thought would interview you. I got a lot of schools in the Midwest, and I had no ties to the Midwest. Um, I ended up going on 16 interviews. I would probably do less. I think 16 was way too many. The problem is that um, a lot of the smaller programs come out early on with interviews. You don't know which of your top schools you're going to get. So um, there's nothing that could really change. I would go on the smaller ones again. I really enjoyed it. met some really cool people, had fun. They were great programs. I mean, 16 is what it was, and I applied to 71 programs. 
And uh, I'll go ahead and go next. So I applied to 70 programs so around <laughs> that same ballpark. You know, you're almost forced to when the average is so high. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. What was the average last year? Anyone know? I think it was 72. Or what? one less. It was 71. Yeah, 71. So that's why you guys were at those numbers probably. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's it's a good and a bad thing. I think it's a good thing because you're challenged to really do your research and 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 look at all the different programs that are available. Because you know it's uh, how do you even judge what programs to apply to? You have to get a lot of advice from different residents, your mentors, uh, fellows, and just people you know in the field to see you know what are great programs out there. Uh, and then I ended up actually going on seven interviews. So less than Danielle. Seven is a much nicer number. Yeah. I have funny stories. I asked one of my mentors who was a little bit, um, who applied a long time ago, and he said, Next. Just go on. <laughs> no, not the shooter. But he said, I thought 30 is good. <laughs> I was like, you who know the current statistics? Um, but uh, I think I actually only applied to 60 programs, but I, I really spent a lot of time researching every single program and yeah. asking myself whether I would actually want to be at that place or actually, um, the plane tickets are expensive. Like, would you, when, if you get that interview, um, would you actually spend $300 for the whole trip to go to that special program? And I think down to that, I kind of cut down to where I really wanted to be. Um, but uh, I can definitely see why the fear of not matching is just so large and just the extra cost of a couple of thirty dollars per application you know and that yeah. for not matching like that's worth it you know and, and everyone's heads like that's worth it you know if we spend like, like maybe a couple hundred more dollars just to add that potential of matching and yeah you referenced the cost of traveling in terms of money what about the time and I mean, fatigue cost I mean have you guys experienced yeah. that I mean uh, I'm just curious because I, I how old that's like a side note how many, what were the most number of consecutive interviews in different cities you guys did? Um, I think my longest stretch was five interviews over a one and a half week period. And two of them were in the same city. Yeah. So uh, my, my longest stretch was just two back to back. So not as bad, but still fatiguing. You'd be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think the same way. Five. You went on like that. I remember you went on like a five day road trip. I remember you were texting me. You get tired by the end of that. It's you, hard, and then you don't want to. And then you is. Are you spending money to go somewhere and portray yourself in your best light, or are you spending money to go somewhere to be there? That's a problem. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it just gets hard to answer the same questions over and over again. If that's yeah. Your yeah. It definitely gets fatigued. Um, Despite the fact that I went on sixteen interviews, those earlier ones I went there because I had family in the area or I had ties. To big area and I would be happy to live in. So kind of what Louis was saying, it's really important to narrow down where you go your interviews to where you'd be happy living. Okay, so kind of building off Dr. Schroeder's question about logistics of the interview, do you guys have any tricks for like scheduling your interviews, like receiving the invites? I know these interview emails, they'll come and you guys have to respond almost immediately just to get the spots. Do you guys have any tips? Actually, can I start with this one? So I thought I, I thought I came up with this brilliant system, and like I had set it up perfectly with the Google Calendar. You know, I, I scheduled all the interview dates, and I put it all there, and I, and I even put my top programs and which dates I, I would prefer, and how it matched up with all the other ones. And I and I would like leave off dates. Like, what if I got an application? What if I got an interview invite here? I don't want to schedule this one now. But the thing is, like a bird in hand is worth like two in the bush kind of thing. And uh, sometimes all that thinking really what it did was just kind of. Uh, it actually was kind of detrimental and slowed me down. So I actually was late to responding to some and <laughs> had a double schedule and basically everything went up in flames the more, uh, the more I tried to plan it out. 
So I don't know how what your experience was. Generational gap. I remember doing that paper, but not we didn't have like Google Calendar. <laughs> so Sure. Yeah. So, so what I ended up doing, uh, I think I can't remember if SF Match allows you to export all the interview days, I that, yeah. but I think it does. And what I ended up doing, um, you can, if you like Google Calendar, which I, I, I personally use that for scheduling everything. Uh, Hashtag not sponsored. <laughs> no financial disclosures. Uh, what I ended up doing was just listing all the interview dates um, that could were possible for all the programs that I applied to and importing that into my calendar instead of manually typing each one. So that saved a lot of time. And I knew every possible interview date for every school I applied to. So when interview invites did come out in a similar fashion to Louie, I would scramble and see, oh, which is the ideal day that wouldn't conflict with other schools that I might get invited to, etc. And it was a nightmare. However... Um, I did reply immediately to every interview invite that I got, and uh, they'll usually ask you to, to preference, you know, put a few dates, and so I would prioritize, and you know, you'd see what you got. Uh, I was definitely glued to my phone. I think we were all glued to our phones yeah. during this process. And another thing I did, which I thought was very helpful, is I had uh, a custom kind of ringtone or a vibrating pattern for that one email. I also created a different email address for uh, interview invites, so uh, I wouldn't have to be checking my personal email. And I thought that was a huge help because when I got that specific uh, vibration, I knew this is an interview invite. Let me excuse myself from whatever I'm doing and answer it promptly. I don't know if Danielle had anything to add. Um, no, I did very similar things. I made a separate Gmail account. Um, I had it on my phone. I had a separate ringtone for my Gmail. Um, and then I had all the dates, the interview dates on the Google Calendar. And you, get, you can get those from SF Match or from the program websites themselves. And then in addition to that, I actually wrote a draft email for every program that I wanted on my Gmail because I started realizing that I was answering too late and I was missing my top preferences for interview dates. So, and that was also really helpful. Um, I was taking step two CS during the time interviews were coming out. So for whoever was checking my phone, it was very easy for them. They didn't have to go back and forth, go to the Google calendar, write the email. It was just right there in the draft. They just do copy, paste, and send. Oh, that was, that's really high. <laughs> yeah. I know. I was going to say that's just high level... That's 71 programs, right, essentially? Well, okay, so it wasn't then. It was later on when I realized that I was missing them, so I started it kind of like halfway through with the interviews coming out. Funny story. So one time, uh, you know, like, as soon as you get the email, we're trying to figure out what instructions they want. Some people want you to do top two. Some people want you to do top three. Some people want you to, like, you know, like, rank them, et cetera. And then you find the instructions. You find what they want you to send them, like maybe a headshot, maybe like a extra paragraph. I don't know what, what it is. And then you send it immediately. Um, so one time I like mixed up the dates and I and I and actually accidentally preference like the like the date for the dinner. <laughs> and then they were like, oh, this is not a <laughs> so I, I had sent the I had sent the like the my my uh, my, my pre made like letter template right. with with the with the dinner date and then I sent oh no, no, no. And I sent the pre made template with the real date afterwards it was like the same exact email. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that you sent the email and then it was like a rejection email or something like, sorry, we can't. <laughs> offer you. Um, regarding, you know, scheduling and everything as a third year student looking forward to or looking up to fourth year, we're starting, of course, it depends on different med schools, but I'm starting to figure out my scheduling for fourth year. Um, did you guys take time off? When did you take your step twos? Um, any thoughts on that? We'll start with Daniela's. Um, I took my step two CK in June before I did any of my applications. And then between June and August, I was focusing on my SF match application. And then I took CS um, at the end of September. And then um, 
I started taking out, I took two and a half months off from mid-October till the end of December for interviews. I found that worked best for me and especially at UM, we have a lot of flexibility with our schedule. So I was able to do that. I didn't want to worry about having to miss any required rotations and getting that um, approved. So that's what I did. And just to follow up, when was like your, the date of your first interview and your last interview roughly? My first interview was October 19th and my last... together. Yeah, we did it together. Yeah. Yeah. And um, my last interview was December 11th with your brother. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) You went to his house, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, let's see. What was the question again? <laughs> uh, steps. In my time, you took uh, off step two. Oh, that's right. That's right. So, sorry. I just got and so lost in Danielle. You just had this image of Danielle. And yeah. Alma, your brother's house. Yes. This really took me away. So, uh, I took my step two CK similarly to Daniela. I took it in June, which allowed me to focus on my application um, from June to August. I thought that was a great uh, idea because kind of during interview season, you weren't having to worry about studying for step two CK. Uh, and I also t- I took CS. Uh, end of interview season in December so didn't want it to I didn't want to have to worry about any standardized testing during interview season and I took a different approach to Danielle in that I only took one month off but I made sure to schedule more flexible rotations uh, in for example I took the month of November off but I had a flexible rotation in both December and October where I knew I could make up days or make up coursework to allow me to miss just a few days for interviews I thought that worked pretty well as well and then the dates of your first and last interview. Sure. The, the date of my first interview, I don't remember exactly, but it was the first week of November. Then my last interview was December 15th. Yes. Yeah, so I, I kind of similar thing. I took off November and the first half of December. Like, But most of the interviews will happen in November. So I would definitely take off November if you can. And December, the first two weeks of December are pretty hectic as well. Um, and also, like Karam said, schedule some flexible ones in October and the second half of December. I actually didn't really... I thought um, people gave me advice to not, like what Karam did, to not schedule step two during interview season. And I thought, like, you know, taking time off, it should be easy to study on a plane. It's not, <laughs> plane. It's not very easy to study on a, it's not really easy to study when you're worrying about an interview. It really isn't. Like, I thought I could do it, but you really can't. So I ended up scheduling uh, step two, like, in, after all my interviews in December, and I really had to cram all my studying in a couple of days, and that really wasn't ideal. But um, in terms of step two CS, though, it's like going to an interview, isn't it? It's like you're it's like going for the day and a dinner and lunch or whatever. And so that was, that was pretty flexible to schedule. Yeah. I, I guess my concern with scheduling step two CS during interview season was that you didn't want your CS date to overlap with the interview date. Uh, I so see. I think either you either take it before or you take it after interviews okay. because it's really, you don't want that, you don't want to miss out on one of your favorite interviews to go take step two CS. That's true. And just for timing, I think what's important to remember is when Academy is, they won't interview the weekend of Academy, and they won't interview really around it, because that's, that's like, true. people with directors are also doctors, too, and the people in the committee are all doctors, so they want to either prepare their talks or they're going to the meeting, and so this year, the, way, the 2017, November 11th through 14th, so it was kind of like right in November, so there's probably a rush of interviews before, yeah. break, rush of interviews, Thanksgiving, rush of interviews. This year, it's it's now in October. It's the end of October, it's 27th through 30th. So my suspicion is you may not have that many in October at all right. if you were prepping. And then November, like you said, will be super high yield because November will be open season, well, October 31st on until uh, you get to Thanksgiving. So it's good advice. Okay, so switching gears and talking about the interview itself, what were the most common questions you guys got, and was there anything, I guess, surprising while you were on these interviews? Louis? Yeah, sure. So 
uh, towards the end, I started getting like more familiar with this whole process, and I always went into every single interview prepared to answer three questions, which is uh, who I am, uh, why ophthalmology, and why this program. And even if they don't ask that question, they want to hear those answers. So you literally have to be prepared to answer why this program and answer it very, very well before you go to every single program. Even if they don't ask that question, you have to be prepared to just tell them that because that's what they're looking for and that's why the whole pur the purpose of the interview. So I always, I always made sure I knew those three things. Yeah, Louis hit the nail on the head right there. I agree with everything he said. Uh, the, the, kind of the way I like to think about every program is I'd like to think about my career goals and then what the program's strengths are and do my, will this program prepare me to, for the career that I want? And if it will, then I know that not only am I going to gain from the program, but I'm also going to give to the program. And I think that was very important. And even if the program doesn't ask it, definitely say it, just like Louis said. Yeah, I love how you said it, Karam. It's looking at what the program can offer for you for your future goals and what you can give back to the program as well. For example, I was interested, I mean, I still am interested in pediatrics, so I specifically look for programs or what programs offered in that realm, whether it was pedicalcoma or pedicerbismus and other areas. You know, in medicine, we're not used to interviewing the way people in retail or marketing or advertising are. And um, But if you think about it, that's what they talk about when you interview for a job, right? You don't just show up to a job, show them your CV and your scores, and they're like, oh, great, we're going to hire you. It's, who are you? People have to do this spontaneously. It's like a cover sheet almost. It's like, my name is Karamalawa. I went to the school. This is what I studied. This is what I'm interested in. This is what I've done in my previous work experience. For medical students, their medical school kind of experience extracurriculars. This is what I can bring to the table to make this company better, right? So if we're not dealing with a company, we're dealing with a residency, a hospital, a group of people. So it's the same sort of philosophy. We talked about this when we were prepping really, uh, uh, for the, like, the interview season. And I, I think that having been on the other side, I think the people unconsciously, when you're interviewing someone, the people who convey that message sometimes spontaneously, without being too aggressive about it, are the people who are the best. And it, in Karam, then you hit it right, right in the head and you yeah. talked about, it's almost, it's not mind tricking yourself, but it's like every place you go, think about what you would enjoy about this program. What are you passionate about that you like about this program? Because then you can talk about that and you're being sincere and that comes forward. Whether you're in Tulsa or Tacoma or Chicago, what about the city, this place, this, this program is good for you? How do you fit into this bigger picture? Danielle, I don't know if you have any thoughts. Um, yeah, I was just going to add, the most common question was seriously, tell me about yourself. So you have to have that script basically down pat. When you recite it, don't recite it like you have it memorized, <laughs> but you just have like an idea of what you're going to say. And then the other thing was that know your application in and out. Every research project, um, for research projects, uh, one of my mentors told me it was really good to have the structure as an abstract um, and how you talk about that specific research project. Know your hobbies. I got a lot of random questions about my hobbies. I don't know if you guys want to add to any kind of random questions you guys got. I mean, it, your hobbies can actually lead to a lot of fun interviews. I remember one interview uh, they, they saw in my hobbies. You know, I recently took up cooking and I love like, learning about different dishes, especially the dishes that I'm, are my favorite and learning about different cultures, you know, the food in different cultures. And uh, an interviewer looked at my hobbies on my SF Match application and went, all the guys are putting cooking now. What's up with that? <laughs> and I said, no, no, listen. It's, it's, and then we, it was so funny because the two, the two types of foods that I am trying to cook most are Middle Eastern food and Thai food. And those were the ethnicities of both of my interviewers in that one interview. And we went off for the, the entire interview that 15 minutes was about food. And it, 
I had a great impression from that program, actually, and I, I hope they had a great impression of me. And it was a very organic and awesome thing that just stemmed off of, you know, one word in my SF Match Hobbies part. So definitely know your hobbies and, and be happy to talk about them. Yeah. And then fill in your application appropriately, right? So sure. That's a space that I think reading applications, some people really use that space to talk about what they like or really be, show their passion. Then you can talk about an interview. Some people put two words, right? And that makes it harder as an interviewer to generate a question from that. So if you write, like one of my friends when I was applying, he wrote, like, I like, you know, barbecuing, like, pork with this sort of sauce. But it was, like, very specific. <laughs> and he got asked about it in every single interview, right? Um, so using the application, you talk about the research section is, like, half a page. The hobby section is, like, the third of the page. And yeah, it's pretty large. That space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, no, I completely agree. Like, the, that's a very fun part of the interview, and uh, it's definitely something to look forward to. And... Once you go on enough interviews, you start to expect their questions and nothing really phases you if you really know your application because you know all they know about you is your application mm -hmm. and uh, you'll be prepared to answer anything. That's good to hear. I know that for um, for my medical school interview, I ended up like talking about Seinfeld. He was like a huge Seinfeld <laughs> fan. We were quoting different episodes and ended up, that was like probably 80% of the interview. Oh. <laughs> I was like, we need to do a Seinfeld podcast now. You're a Seinfeld fan? I didn't know. Okay. I got off topic. Next time. Um, so, talking about what the school can bring to you guys, what was most impressive when you saw a school, whether it's on their website or, you know, the, the lunch during the interview day or, you know, what, what did you look for in a school, Karan? So, so definitely, if the food was good, I left with a great impression. Actually, I'm not even going to lie, at one of the interviews that I enjoyed the most, uh, the residents were mentioning how many spots in the hospital that you could get freshly baked cookies and i don't know if that subconsciously led me to rank that program highly but uh, those those little things i think you look <laughs> i you look for things that you would you know you're going to be there for four three to four years um or three years uh depending if you do a prelim there or not but you're going to be there for that amount of time. You really want to not only develop professionally, but socially and, and, and just in life in general. And so you want to get good training, but you also want to develop in other ways as well. And I think those are things to look at. As, like those, those little things are, are really important. Uh, so, yeah, food food is a priority. <laughs> food always gets brought up. Every time you This is just rehashing what we talked about last year. But say one thing we always say, they won't feed you when you're trying to impress you what does that say about how they're going to treat you once you're there? And I think most programs are up to speed. Very few programs don't feed you well now. Everyone feeds you well. Um, but that would, that's always subconsciously or consciously. If you're not being fed or like treated like well in that capacity when you're interviewing, then how does that reflect on what your treatment is going to be as a resident? And so even though it may not be linear, that's how applicants are going to think. So I think most programs now understand that, understand that human beings are just happier as well fed. Yeah, no, I completely agree, and and um, one of the reasons why I ranked the way I did was because there's the presence of like bubble tea. Completely tearing down. That is not the only reason. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. In all seriousness, um, one of the programs that most impressed me. The best way that you can show that you care about the residency is just your presence. And one program literally canceled all of the day's clinics and every single um, spe subspecialty and every single faculty member met with the residents. And every single researcher in that department, the great thing was a smaller program, but everybody showed up to that interview day and everyone interviewed and everyone made an effort to meet all the applicants. And I think 
that that speaks so much about the program that they're willing to cancel this day of profit just because they cared about the residency program and they cared about meeting who could potentially be the next uh, residents in that program. And I think just doing something like that and just showing up and faculty support for the interview day is like, that's really important. Um, yeah, so I agree with what Louis Karam and Dr. Peter all said. And in addition to that, it kind of is along those same lines, but resident happiness was a huge factor for me and how well the residents got along with each other and how well the residents got along with their faculty members. Are the faculty members approachable? Do the residents hang out together? Are they happy to be there? Um, that Those are super important factors. You know, I don't think programs have to cancel their day to do it because sometimes it can work both ways. They could say, we aren't canceling our day because patient care comes first. Or we are canceling our day. It works both ways. One big thing is how free are the residents do they let the residents come and interact with you guys? Did most places give you exposure to the residents during the day? Was it social events? How did it work around? Yeah, so I thought that generally it, the correlation worked. So the programs where the residents were more available to answer questions, just to hang out, just to tell you about their experiences and give you advice that, you know, because they were in our shoes not too many years ago. And so the programs where residents were available gave advice and you could tell that they were happy. You know, luckily, at all the ophthalmology programs I interviewed at, the residents were happy. But I can tell you that at a prelim interview I went to, I could, it was, you could tell where the residents are putting on fake smiles. And I hope that doesn't happen for anyone, you know, when you go on your interviews. Luckily, it didn't happen on any ophthalmology interviews, but you really want them to be happy. And so being able to interact with them, you can kind of gauge, are these the kind of people, the kinds of people that I want to work with for the next four years? Or just, you know, the next few years, uh, are they happy? Just kind of things we touched on before. And so uh, at the programs where the residents were, were more available and you got to spend more time with them, I think you could generate more of a solid opinion about that program. In addition to that, um, also adding um, how enthusiastic the residents were about their program says a lot. Were they thrilled to be there? Would they rank it again as highly as they did? Um, I think that made a really big difference, too, because I remember going to a program where the residents kind of weren't that excited to be there. They weren't that excited to talk to us. They looked very exhausted, burnt out, and that gave me a negative impression of that program. Louis, I don't know if you no, I completely that. agree. There was one program that I felt like the residents were, they didn't seem really interested in applicants, and the applicants are there to learn about the program, and that really doesn't speak, even though the program could be different, but on that interview day, like how the residents portray themselves is really important for the applicant's impression of the program as a whole. Also, when you're interviewing, I think it made a difference when the faculty members had looked at your application before and really asked you very detailed questions about your application, what makes you unique. Sometimes you go to interviews and they you can tell that they're just looking at your application when you first got to the room, and again, that leaves a negative impression. They don't really know you. They don't really want to invest in you as much. And uh, Ram, you mentioned when you were talking about it's a, it's the next three to four years of your life being at this city. I'm curious, when you guys were on your interviews, did you feel like you were able to get a sense of what the city's like? In, I mean, maybe not when you have five interviews in a row, but did you have enough time? Did you have free time to go explore a restaurant you found interesting or a local site or something? Did you feel like you got to get to experience the city? So I think it all depends on your travel arrangements and if you're afforded that opportunity. Uh, sometimes I actually allowed myself a night or an extra night somewhere to explore the city and spend some time. Other times, you know, you're just so tired, you say, I just want to get home as soon as possible and relax a little bit. So I think it varies if you're afforded the opportunity and it, it works out for you that you're allowed to spend an extra night in a city, especially the one you're not familiar with. I definitely encourage you to do so. Uh, I think you can learn, is this somewhere where I'd want to live? Uh, or just, you know, spend some time in a, in a cool city that you might not be able to visit again. Yeah. Um... 
So running, I love to run. So when I went to a new city, I tried to get out there and explore the city by running, like I did in Chicago and Utah and some in San Francisco, and that was a really good way to get to know the city and get the get the vibe. Um, in addition, when I was interviewing, I stayed mostly with some friends, and so I would try to stay an extra night or two, like Karam was saying, with some locals from there from that area. So I think that really helped in getting to the to know the city. Yeah, for sure. Like so, if, if there's an interview dinner. I always tried to fly out in the morning of so I could have the lunchtime in the afternoon to go explore the city. And um, I, Ubers get expensive, so I always try to like find a hotel that's like walkable to different places. And I always try to, to walk whenever I can. And sometimes I walk maybe three, four, or five miles. And like I think walking a city really gives you a good feeling of what that city has to offer and whether you'd like to be there and live there. That's a question that's also good if you don't have time to talk to the residents maybe about because sometimes residents can be very excited about the program, very happy. You try to get us maybe just casual conversation, get a sense of what do people do in the city? Like, are you going to be happy living there with the things that you are interested in personally? Um, and I have to be careful with that because if you ask too many questions or show disappointment, then the residents go back to their attendings and be like, oh, you know, you know, Daniela, I don't think she's going to come here. She seemed like she really wants to run, and all of her streets are, like, blocked off. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so you don't want to, like, give them reasons to think, oh, maybe this person's not excited to come here. Because even though, again, they're supposed to rank you independent of how you rank them, a lot of programs will try to feel if you're going to come before they rank you, and it's like they, they don't obey the algorithm. So that being said, you came from casual conversation, talking to the residents, figure out, what do people do outside of work? And if that is a good fit for you, even if you don't have time to go to a city and explore, that can give you a sense. Having gone on quite a number of interviews, how did you guys keep track of all the programs you guys interviewed at in order to make that final rank list? So on the first interview I went on, I don't know if you remember one of the residents there telling us, but he told us that when he was going through all of his interviews, he had an evolving rank list that he would go to a program and put it on this Word document when he went to another one, he would add that one appropriately. Um, so I did that throughout the entire interview season. And that really helped because at the end I sat down and I had kind of um, one draft of my rank list and I tweaked it from there. And I think it was always good to go back to see what my original one was without getting any um, input from my mentors or family members. Um, so that was really helpful for me. I don't know if Louie, you did that too. Yeah. So um, I did that as well. But the more interviews I went on, I realized that I I liked every single place, and I would rank that one a little bit, just a little bit better than the previous one. And at the recency bias, recency bias. At the, at, at the very end of the, the the season, I looked at it and just, it was just my interview list. That my <laughs> this can't be right. So, um, so, um, but you know, really going backwards and like looking at it and critically thinking about it, I think having a running draft is very good. But you have to incorporate recency bias and like primacy bias like the first ones is the first time you experience like the interview dinner the first time you actually had someone ask you about yourself you know so like including those biases and the kind of like quickly thinking and then getting as many mentors that have their eyes on your um list is very important as well and getting everyone's opinion on that and it's better to know everyone's opinion and come to your own opinion than to not know everyone's opinion and decide absolutely i did a very similar thing but i i didn't really take i think i took notes in the first interview and afterwards, I just went with, I kind of just meant, internalized my gut feeling from that day. And that's really what I ended up at the end of the day using to rank in addition to, so two things, gut, and then how best will this kind of, we touched upon this earlier, how best will this program set me up for what I want to do in the future? You know, some program, each program has their strengths. And at the end of the day, you want to choose the program, which is strongest for you. And that could be 
uh, a pro like a top program in ranking or it could be a lower program in ranking you know don't pay too much attention to the ranking look past it and say why why is this program ranked the way it is and is that something that I could benefit from and then contribute to as well so I, I used kind of those two things when I ranked my list and then as you went through each of the interviews you were having your running list or so did you send thank you letters and then at the end when you had your final list did you tell your top choice that they were your top choice uh, Danielle? Um, yeah, I tried to send thank you letters as much as I could. It gets kind of overwhelming sometimes if you have back-to-back -back interviews, um, but I definitely always sent one to the program director, the program coordinators. I mean, these coordinators do huge, they do, they do so much work for us in scheduling the interviews and ordering all that food that we all love so much. So I think it's definitely worth it to send them a thank you. Um, and, um, and so I was at one interview and one of the residents told me that she sent thank you notes only to the people that she really felt a connection with. So kind of towards the end of my interview trail, I was narrowing down who I was sending interview thank yous to. Because if you send it to everybody that you interview with, I think that can become a little bit overwhelming and they're not as genuine anymore. Um, but so. Yeah, I echo everything Daniela said. I'd usually send to the program director program coordinator, uh, same exact reasons. And then anyone who you happen to connect with on the interview trail. Uh, I think it's just great, you know, these are your future colleagues, and I, I would usually just always include, you know, a little bit of our conversation because, you know, we met them once, but they met, you know, maybe 20 or 30 of us in that one day. And just kind of a little reminder of what we chatted about, what I enjoyed about meeting them. And I, I think it's, it's a courtesy, and it's also a lot of fun, you know. Yeah, no, I definitely agree because I think thank you emails are an opportunity where you can really express yourself. You're not limited by the application, and you can really go out of your way to really appreciate the people who took their time to interview from the clinics, you know, or from wherever they were, whatever they were working on, just to speak with you. And it's it's courtesy, and and, and it does get very taxing, especially when you have maybe twelve people interview on a certain day. But I think just being able to take the time to email them, your presence is is the most important thing to convince. Someone for something like their presence, it helps us think better of their program and our effort that we take to write to them. And I think that also speaks well. Granted, some programs did say not send thank you emails, and <laughs> and I did hear a sigh of relief. And, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. on the other, and on the other side, I don't think you have to send thank you letter notes. I think you should send thank you notes if you want to say thank you to somebody. So program coordinators need to call. I mean, just think about it as like. If I went to someone's house or I went to someone's, you know, yeah. what would I do, right? You'd bring a bottle of wine. So we can't do that for an interview. So, you know, thank the person who hosted you. That's the program coordinator, that's the program director, that's the chair. Okay. And then anyone else you connect with, yeah. right? Reaffirm that connection. You may not work with them, but that's how you develop bonds and connections that last a lifetime. Doing it for every single person because you feel like you have to, I don't think it helps. I don't think... Maybe at other programs it would, but from my experience, it doesn't make me think more highly about that. That might be like, oh, that's really nice. They said thank you. This is a good person, uh, but it won't necessarily be like, oh, you said you didn't say thank you. I never get your thank you note. You're gonna drop it on my list. So. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely not to to get a better impression. Right. It's it's really because it's, it's just yeah. a nice thing to do. It's not for the impression. It's uh, it's just like the like the mature and the nice thing to do is when someone invites you to their place. How about ranking saying number one? That's what second half of my next question. Uh, I was going to, but I think I just took a little too much time in thinking about uh, whether or not to send one. And I, it was, I think it was Christmas by that time, and I thought it's probably best not to even do that. So I did not send a letter. 
I didn't send a letter either. I, I expressed my interest um, during the interview day, but I didn't send them a letter saying they were my number one afterwards. I actually did send a letter. Um, uh, it was just, um, uh, I felt like I was just so excited to go um, to that program and I, and I, I, I couldn't withhold yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, this is my number one. I'm so excited. Like, and I, I this. You said you were an excitable person. Yeah. yeah. I guess a lot of exclamation yeah. points. <laughs> Last question to wrap up the interview. I know January 12th was match day for you guys, and a lot of you guys also got calls from the director. So, what were you doing when you guys found out? Before you get started, you, you guys heard the rumor that was they, that all program directors decided not to call. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> someone started. <laughs> yeah, so someone there would be random rumors. Like someone started a rumor online, I think, that no one was going to find out via phone call because every program director in the country decided together that they were not going to do that, which of course is not true. But anyway, there's a lot of misinformation that's like spread around around that time. But anyway, your stories? Sure. So uh, I, I got a call that Thursday. So, so match day is uh, January 12th on a Friday, but uh, you will get status of your match in the morning, whether you're not being matched, and then program directors uh, may call you on that day just to notify you uh, and, and say how excited they are to have you. And so I was on my way to a transitional year interview. Luckily, it was local. And I got the call before the interview started. And as you know, Iowa is an integrated a program and so when i hung up the phone i had to call up this transitional year and say hey guys uh i just matched sorry i can't attend anymore and i just kind of turned around and came to campus <laughs> yeah so you know it was unfortunate that i had to cancel so last minute but you know, they understood, and she she was the you know the coordinator was laughing, and she it's said, "Best of luck." Do, you don't want to waste their time. It's been the whole day, and ended up exactly. like, you know, I was going to tell you that I was going to break up with you, <laughs> but you know, it just didn't seem like the right time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so um, I was on my ER rotation, and I was learning. I learned to really master like um, how to do vein punctures for the first time, and I was like doing a bunch of vein punctures. All of a sudden, I get this call in the middle, like I was about to stick somebody. <laughs> decision to make <laughs> and luckily it was an easy stick and I got it and I was like can you please take over to the, to the phlebotomist for the stick and then uh, and then everything everything worked out and the patient was fine we got the blood and then uh, it, it kind of you know um, caller ID kind of gives it away you know it yeah. has like the city and the state so like uh, I, I saw where I matched and before I before I got the call but you know, part of me you know, it would be cool like to not know but but now in this day and age, we, we can tell where the call's coming from. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was expecting a phone call, but I was driving to school to work with my mom. And um, I got an email, and it just uh, it's on my Gmail. So, of course, I still get all the notifications, and it has a program coordinator's name. And it says, congratulations from VPEI, or something along those lines. And I was like, Mom, I think I just matched at Baskin Palmer. And I just started like, crying. <laughs> and then I got to school, and I thought Dr. Schreeder in the <laughs> elevator. <laughs> And then by that time, I knew I hadn't gotten a phone call yet. And then about an hour later, I actually missed the program director's phone call. Um, and then I had to go say I went to go say thank you in person. And yeah, nothing's better than last year's story with who had told her story. <laughs> and then Louis the whole time was just like, "Yeah, I was right next to you. Like, Were you?" And she's like, "Yeah, I was sitting right next to you. Got that phone call. You don't remember me having dinner with you that night?" And she's like, "No." You were there? <laughs> <laughs> you were very offended about that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. 
Okay. I remember that was one of the, the most fun thing, most fun questions last year was to listen to people's stories. You know, it's always exciting, uh, whether it's like during match day or just the person, whatever they're doing. I remember last year someone was ironing, like ironing a suit uh, when they got the call for like this. Yeah, <laughs> ironing. Um, but that's great for you guys and congratulations. And before we wrap up, is there anything else that uh, you guys want to share before that we might have missed? No, I think we've covered a lot. I got I got two thoughts. One question, one thought. First thought is if you are going to tell someone that you're number one, don't come back and tell them if they're not your number one. That sounds crazy, but people rethink things. They like, oh, you know, maybe this isn't right, and then they come back. They send an email. Like, actually, it's nice of them because it's worse to lie. Tell someone you're number one. Like, oh, I'm gonna change my list. I'm not gonna tell them. That's wrong. But it's just like anything in life. People like commitment. So maybe that's a program that you would have gone to fellowship for. Maybe you would have gone there in the future. Maybe you work there one day. This has happened at various parts of the country. We hear stories that people send a committing letter and then with, retract it, um, and that's not a good look. So if you aren't good, if you aren't sure, like Carmen was like, I'm not sure if the timing was right. It was a little late. I don't want them to think I made a decision late. What you did was perfect, right? You waited, and things just worked out. Um, my second thought is, what has three pillars? Like, what kind of building has three pillars? <laughs> like, unless you have a triangular building, it should have four pillars. So I really think next year, you guys didn't think of a fourth pillar. pillar. <laughs> yeah, fourth pillar. What? Uh, seriously, though, I was thinking of it the whole time you're talking. Like, what is supported by three pillars? <laughs> this microphone is always a the table. I can't really Oof. see it. Well, uh, Guys, thank you for your time. Thank, congratulations so much on matching. Thank you for doing this for the uh, residency applicants across the country, not only next year, but for posterity. We'll have it online and in 15 years. People will like 72 programs. I applied to 150. But, Hopefully uh, the number goes back down. Yeah, right. That's a separate conversation um, that may be worth having with this group another time. But how we can rethink and we've talked about things that could be done maybe to make this process smoother. But, Great job, guys. Thank you. And uh, I really look forward to seeing your guys' careers develop as you move on. Only four months until graduation, so congratulations. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. As always, you can find this episode and all prior episodes on our website, retinapodcast.com. That's R-E-T-I-N-A podcast.com. All 89 episodes, including this one, as well as our match podcast from last year, can be found there sorted by category. Our blog is also online. That also has tips and tricks for the ophthalmology match as well as rank lists. On the website, you can sign up for our mailing list to get updates on the most recent episodes. And at the bottom are links to subscribe in the iTunes store as well as Google Play. Find us on Facebook as well as on Twitter at Retina Podcast. To contact us, click on the contact us link on our website or email us at retinapodcast.com. We love getting feedback, so these episodes are derived a lot from listener ideas. So if you have an idea for an episode, something you want to hear, someone you want to hear from, let us know. And we'll try to arrange. And we appreciate all the positive reviews we've gotten in the iTunes store. And anyone who still is subscribed, please leave your positive comments in the form of a review. Many thanks uh, in order to Daniela Reyes-Capo, Karam Alawa, and Louis Kai for their valuable insights as matched applicants this year. Congratulations to all three of them. Thank you to Angela Chang and Mike Vinicasa for participating and coming up with the questions for our session. Thanks to Louis, Mike, and Angela for the great production as usual. Thank you to the listeners for what you do on a daily basis, the patient care you provide, the articles you read and publish, and the conversations you inspire here. This is Jay Schreeder signing off. Feeling. This is straight from the cutter's <laughs> mouth. <laughs>